0: So I, I do feel like we're on a journey of wonderful and fun possibilities with our families. And so a big part of what I'm encouraging us to all do together this week is to get motivated and recognise the godly potential in our families and maybe give you some ideas how you can kick some, start some changes if they're needed. And so yesterday we looked at training along the way and encouraging the opposite virtue. So if your child has trouble with selfishness, to look out and praise thoughtfulness. And we're going to finish the process tomorrow uh, of parenting, but today I want to change a little bit in this session and just to highlight how important the work that we're doing is and how serious it is. So I'd like you to think of your family as a project together, as husband and wife. Or perhaps it's your project. What what is your shared vision for your family? And while we're away from family life, you know, perhaps it's a good time to think about what influences are on your family. You know, are they good influences? Or bad influences. So there's a, sort of a, a, a sheet there in the beginning of today's session that you can think about that. And if there are some bad influences that you think might be on your family, you know, how are you going to counteract or replace them? And um, there's um, uh, some examples of influences that might be on our family. But I want to spend time this morning thinking about the two families that were mentioned in our reading. As it was in the days of Noah and Lot. Two families at the end times of their era. And it's like we're living in a homologation of their age, aren't we? An era when the sin of Lot is combined on a flag with the sign of Noah. So every time you think of it, see a rainbow flag, you can think that we are, like, what a sign that God gave us, that we would be in the time of Noah and Lot. And you can actually explain it to your children, you know, where that flag means that we're at the time of Noah and Lot, which means Jesus is nearly here. <coughs> However, this morning, I want you to think about the lessons we can learn from their families, because as... You know, husband and wife, we've gen- got generally some ideas about each other's point of view as husband and wife, but do we have shared goals for our family? You know, do you have a plan? It's just a sketch map is all we're talking about because the details are unwritten, but an idea of what your family will be. And... You know, the, the challenge of those shared goals and visions and what we want our family to, to be, you know, when we reflect on our families and how we parent them, it strikes at challenging questions like, is, our, is the discipline of our children motivated by love or largely by frustration, or more challengingly, is God at the centre of our parenting? So, what's our goals to flip those things around? Is self centredness and self satisfaction, either ourselves or our children, at the centre of everything we do at the moment? And the challenge is that the world out there now is not the same world that your parents grew up in and guided you and I through. And while we now probably all realise that society is no longer on our side. You know, I'm confident that it's really, we actually have the ability to um, maintain our family goals as long as we're not focused on it, it being just what we do as a parent, but it's actually knowing why we're doing what we're doing that's really important and that will see us through. And the reason, as we've been talking all week, behind our parenting is because of God's purpose, to fill the earth with his glory. And we're given the opportunity of shining a bit of that light that will soon fill the earth, but we get to kindle that light in our families. So the the purpose of us as parents is to teach our children about God, his character, his holiness... And what he wants us to be. And how do we do that? By being consistent, just and fair parents. Because we show God to our children. Now this is really critical in the last days. Because there's such pervasive moral issues that your children will encounter potentially on a daily basis. That if you really haven't prepared them adequately, they are definitely going to struggle. So... You know, I'll give it, sort of, to put it in black and white, in connection with the last days, we often talk about the same kinds of things. Media, music, the internet, the ease of access to ungodliness and immoral filth. But really, in essence, what does all of those things come down to? It's a moral problem that has to do with the heart. It's not a legal issue about external behaviour. What I mean is it's about conscience. Making good choices. Not being selfish and self-centred, but resisting the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. For a two-year-old, it's the temptation of a lolly at the checkout queue. And if you can teach them restraint and self-control and denial of self, that's the same skill set that's needed when a pop-up appears on the computer of a screen of a 14-year-old boy and they need restraint not to click it. And it's the same restraint that we ourselves need with some news headlines on our computer or in, in certain posts on social media. You know, some, some salacious headlines are just not worth clicking on and reading. And just like we have an abundance of junk food paraded before us in attractive and convenient packaging, yet we strive to teach our children healthy eating habits, so too we need to teach our children healthy moral habits for their spiritual health. And we've seen that the challenging of parenting is not just about teaching our children, but it's a learning and development process for our characters as well. And that's probably the hardest thing about parenting. We're learning to be like God as uh, our father at the same time we're teaching our children. And, you know, think about learning to be like God. Remember the last day, probably don't have to think back too far, remember the last day when you'd run out of patience with your kids? Well, that's a day you learnt to be like God because after he's run out of patience... What comes next in God's character? Firstly, he's compassionate. Then he's gracious. And then after he's run out of that, then he's slow to anger. And what happens when he's run out of patience and his patience is exhausted? After that is abundant loving kindness. And we see the long-suffering qualities of God in the times of Noah and Lot when, where the patience of God waited. So we need to learn these godly qualities. And that's why God gave us these children. So never forget that. that we parent for God, not for our whims and convenience. And, you know, there's seven positive virtues there and one negative one in the next verse. And so it's unrealistic for me to say never be angry and frustrated with our children, but you know, yesterday I said mentally think in your mind how you're generally characterised by your behaviour to our children. Our frustration we want to aim at having at a proportion of seven to one, if we can keep it in that balance. Then we're doing a very good job of being God to our children. So I want you to think about living in our last days, in the terms of the last days of Noah and Lot. Both of them save nothing other than their family. However, we want to be way more like Noah than Lot when it comes to the crunch, even though they're both commended as righteous men. So, you know, what can we think um, um, that we can extrapolate about these two families, what they... Did or didn't get right in their families before it was too late. Any ideas? Just quickly. Have to call out quick. Not got much time. Communication. Communication yep. So Noah was preaching, he was active. Noah's family worked with him on the art. Yeah, they had a family project. Excellent. Yep. they, had choices, you know, they chose to go where they went live where they lived, that sort of Yeah. And it's not just their family choices of where they live, but also their marriages. I mean, the choices that Noah's children made in marriage were starkly different to Lot's. Yep. That's a good list. Let's, um, so, um, I, I mean, I think I'll pick up on the point that Noah preached. It seems obvious he taught his children the truth. Um, and then therefore that's why his children seem to be from scripture seem to be married in the truth and they had a family project where they built the ark they stayed in the ark the other one is obedience remember obedience is our family characteristic of God like that's why he chose Abraham because he was obedient so Noah and his family and his children showed absolute obedience everything God said they, they followed and there is a record of Noah communicating with God and praying to God. So in the end, the entire family is saved. Whereas Lot, he's a classic drifter. He drifted into Sod- Sodom and his family just kept drifting. He vexed his righteous soul daily, we're told, but it's only his soul that got vexed. There's no record of him actually communicating his vexation out loud or explaining the principles by which he was frustrated to his children. So internally, um, he was doing, had right thinking, like knew the right principles, but there's no record of him sharing them. And we know that because his wife's heart was in the city. And his daughters, I mean, there's just a whole question mark over that whole thing. It's just um, crazy how lost his daughters were. Uh, in that whole situation. And where's the record of Lot's prayers? Like we've got record of Noah praying. it's not really any record of Lot praying. And it's almost like a list of all ticks of what to do with Noah and all crosses of what not to do with Lot, isn't it? So let's start with the obvious, Lot drifting into Sodom. He, he, you know, he, it started when he was in the plain with his tent towards Sodom, we see there in Genesis 13. Um, well he chose the valley of, um, the the valley Jordan Valley and he pitched his tent towards Sodom in verse 12 of Genesis 13 he ended up dwelling in Sodom and then he's in the gate of Sodom a- actually like as a ruler or administrator even though he hated what was going on there and you know there's many ways that we can be the same when we just drift into unhelpful habits in our life so first thing I'm going to deal with is the media because it's such a big part Of our age and first thing is screen time and you know I work in IT but I read the research and the facts are in they've been in for years there's numerous studies that have reached the same conclusion and that is no screen time for under twos and between three and five less than an hour a day is all that's recommended and this is recommended not for any moral reason but just for the neurological development of our children. So, when I'm talking screens, I'm talking access to all screens, (coughs) not just the TV. We can sometimes think we're doing a good job of not giving the kids TV and they've got unlimited access to other types of mobile devices. So, um, this is all about... This is research of cognitive development, self-control and concentration in, in our children. And so if we allow them unlimited access to screens, we're doing them a real disservice in their, de- their cognitive development in those areas. In fact, free play is the most helpful thing for the cognitive development of our children. And you know, the shocking finding of this kind of research was that even a screen in the background, where the, it's not even a child's program, showing something of adult interest, while the child, child is doing their thing and will only glance at the screen less than 5% of the time, the effect of having a screen in the room on is dramatic. In that environment, a child will only free play and amuse themselves for half the amount of time of a child in a room with no screen on. So I'm not saying you don't, you, no screens for you. I'm saying if you're not actively looking at something, turn it off. Don't leave the screens running in the house. with a young child because the way that their brain is developing they've got more than enough stimulation from everything that's going on around them and screens are really unhelpful. So you know as parents we've got our own habits and relaxation and you know we may really not want to know this but if we want to be good parents and parent for the glory of God don't leave screens on when no one's watching. If it's on for a program that's fine but after that program's finished turn it off and you know, whatever the age of our children, and ourselves included, we need to teach self-control when it comes to media consumption and screen time. And thinking of a lot drifting into bad habits, I was mindful of, you know, the thing in our area was the babysitting in front of the DVD, now it's in front of the iPad. And I'll pick it because it's such an easy trap to fall into. You know, you get some peace and quiet to get things done the first time you do it, and you think, well, that's great, it works such a treat, that next you do it again, And then suddenly it becomes a habit. So I'm not saying that you know there's times when we just need to chill out and things are crazy here and there and we might resort to using it. Just don't allow it to become a habit is all I'm asking because doing it repeatedly is a disservice to our children's development. They actually need to learn to (coughs) occupy themselves quietly. And that's a skill that comes with practice. And if you don't practice it at home... And some children really need the practice. Where are they going to get the opportunity to develop that skill set if you just put on some media distraction every time you need peace and quiet? You're actually robbing them of the opportunity to learn that skill set. So here's a suggestion. I think I mentioned it the other day. Lisa used to have quiet time every afternoon so she could do her chores. The background quiet music would go on that was a signal that this, this was quiet time, and so it's an hour-long DVD, when that's finished, uh, CD, sorry, when that music's finished, that's, that's the end of it. And for the little ones, that could be nap time. For the older ones, they'd have to sit quietly on the couch and look at books and amuse themselves until quiet time was over. And that way they learn the skill set of occupying themselves quietly. And, and Lisa did this with other people's children. Um, she did family daycare for many years, more than a decade. So we know it's not just something weird that we can get our own children to do, but other people's children, we can be trained to do this as well. But there's another problem with media that, from my end of parenting, is much more obvious, and that's at the fact that at a young age, there's plenty of choice that's age-appropriate. I mean, I know play school's sort of gone off the... Off the radar in terms of their social agenda, but you know there's Thomas, Spot, Blue's Clues, Veggie Tales, you know Dora the Explorer. So there's all this really <coughs> a, um, a, um, great material for a young child. But after that age, it becomes really, really difficult to find age-appropriate material. But now you've created an appetite. And an expectation. And what are you going to fill that appetite with? So I'm not saying no media, I'm just saying be careful. Be mindful of your choices and have some forethought to where those things could lead and pay attention to the influences in your home because otherwise you might just end up drifting into a space you weren't prepared for after things have moved on to a point you weren't ready for just like we saw with Lot. And with, you know, computers... My suggestion is make sure they're in a common area, familiarise yourself with the parental controls and things you can do on your computer hardware. Just my point is don't allow unlimited access. And so you know, I'm in IT. We the kids used to laugh. We had more computers in the house than people, but we we implement because I had ran mail servers and all that. So it's not they all had one computer each. They shared one, but. We implemented computer time for our children, so that their screen time was a reward system. So the way it worked is if they did all their daily chores every single day, at the end of the week, that equated to a certain number of points. And, you know, that became a really good consequence, because if they misbehaved, one of uh, just a general consequence could be that they lost some points off their screen time. And at the end of the week, those points equated to minutes of computer time, and so that's when they were free to um, convert their points to minutes and use that on a screen. And how did they regulate that? By using the oven timer. And they would wake up in the morning and come into our bedroom, can we have computer time yet? And we'd hear the beep, 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 and they'd police each other. Um, but you know, these days, there's actually apps that you can get on your phone where you can reward children with screen time and they've got to put their pin number in and there's their screen time that they can use and then the app closes the device down. And with computers, maybe take note of this website, safesearchkids.com question, yeah. um, How do you work that in with homework? Yeah, so w- this was separate to homework. So the, the, if it was homework and they needed to type something up, the computer was there. And they would, that didn't... catch that something that's more kind of, okay, I guess is going to sound funny. one of my kids quite likes Mathletics. Yep. And that's thing, but it's also a, yep. an education tool. Would you kind of... Just- yeah, so I would, I mean, you've got a choice. Um, what, their computer time was a lot of educational games because that's yeah. what I thought was important. Um, but you can also make it like their spelling word list at the end of the day, like they're supposed to do their spelling words. Maybe they do get 10 minutes of Mathletics, but that's really homework. So this was just free time, leisure time. So yeah, the computer, if it was homework and they needed to type something up, that didn't count to computer time. That's what the computer was there for uh, in in the cupboard. So just take a note of this site because, uh, and I suggest setting it for your homepage if you've got young kids, because I know Google has Safe Search, It doesn't work really that well with images, I've found there 's a lot that gets through whereas this is like a cocoon it is actually by Google owns it but it's it's even more cura- it's curated rather than by an algorithm so that 's a really good site for setting as your home page um, and you know then the kids can go search for images and videos relating to their school homework and it 's a bit safer but Thinking about media, instead of the easy option of distracting our children with screen times, it means as a parent, we actually have to put in some effort to providing alternate activities. So, um, in your handbook, uh, at the end of today's session, there's a massive list of really good outdoor activity ideas and play ideas for what a child should be doing by age 12 in your handbook. And there's other extracurricular activities like sport or music or... And, you know, there's benefits in that, not only of just occupying them, but the teamwork and cooperation they learn uh, playing a sport we found was really helpful. Our older children having a part-time job and having to be organised and getting their own income, but also it helps keep them occupied. Um, And, you know, they learn the skills of prioritising and budgeting the small money that they have and being responsible as really good side effects of getting a part-time job. But on top of all that, again, our example is really, really crucial. You know, do we have self-control when it comes to the consumption of media or are we part of the problem? So remember that adage we talked about on Sunday, more, far more is caught than taught. So thinking of alternatives to screens, here's some things that make for really positive family fun times together. One of them is reading aloud to your children. You know, we often, as parents, do it when our children can't read. But once they can, my appeal to you is don't stop. Keep going. So I'd always read to my children a book that was at least a couple of years ahead of where they were in their reading skills. And there's there's a URL in your handbook where you can actually download a spreadsheet of good books. And what I mean by a good book is a book that has no moral ambiguity in it. You know, if you do the wrong thing, there's consequences. Um, so, you know, I, I well remember my boys at an astonishingly early age wading through the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy one summer holidays because I'd read, as a bedtime story, The Hobbit. And, and once they'd got a taste of that, they wanted to, to, to go on and read the rest of it. Um, you know... Read Harry Potter aloud to your children before you show them the movies. It's so much more fun. And not only are you developing their imagination, their cognition and vocabulary, you're actually demonstrating the importance of time together. Sure, you're reading a good, fun book together, but the fact that you made time for them is what really pays off in the long run. Because if you've invested time with your children when they're younger, they'll take it for granted that you'll always be there for them. But if you neglect to invest in your children, they'll assume that you're not there and it'll be very difficult to build bridges when they're older. The other really good alternative is games. I mean, we've invested heavily in the games cupboard as our our children grew older and we'd play games sort of one Friday night a month. And if you only know about like Monopoly and Scrabble, you need to get out more. Um, there's heaps of fun games released in the last decade. Um, some of our family favourites: Code Names, Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, Telestrations, Settlers of Catan. And so, if those names mean nothing to you, you need to get educated. There's Games are a really good, fun alternative to TV and screens. It's great for the family. And then they want to invite other families around to battle them in code names or something. It's really good. Um, on the topic of things slipping in and taking over without, without us noticing, phones and mobiles. Um, you know, I said the other night that every message... We need to instruct our children that every message that they send on the internet or via a phone is a postcard. It can be shared with other people by the person receiving it. You've got no control over what they do with it. So, um, and as a fam, yeah, one of our family rules was any messages they sent could be read by their parents. And so that's why we created family social media accounts. But with phones, the phone was never their own. We bought a family phone. So you know if one of them was going out they took the family phone with them and we found that we only needed one phone amongst our three because generally they were doing something in pairs or with a friend or you know at worst they could take one of our phones if there was three of them going in separate directions but the point was it wasn't their phone they shared it it was a family phone it wasn't until they were working that they bought their own phones so that that concept that we were able to read their messages was enough in our house we really didn't have to do it much Um, just the fact that we have the right to see what they're communicating to others because um, that became really handy when the children were courting Um, you know they had to let the other party know that in our house Our parents have the right to read all our messages. Now, we didn't have to do that, but just that threat meant that we were then confident as parents nothing inappropriate would be exchanged because the other party had fair warning that that was the family principle in our house. And so we knew that the conversations would... um, because that was the family principle that was shared. That was all that was needed. Okay, so we've looked at the drifting. We can all recognise the trap there. The second thing I want to talk about is Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife, we're told. (coughs) Um, The tragedy there is that, um, I think that's really what the, um, what's the next verse? Someone got that open. It says, remember Lot's wife, and then, yeah, it's about whoever seeks to save their life will lose it. So it's like she sought her own personal life, Really wasn't invested in the family. She was out doing her own. She was, you know, the, the message of society today is, you know, women have their own life. And we looked on Sunday that the the, the role of a mother is is a work of salvation. It's one of the highest praised things from God. So remember Lot's wife. Don't try to live your 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 own life. We're going to live a life in Christ, and the way we learn to live a life in Christ and service to others is that God gives us a family that we've got an incentive to serve because we love them and then we learn to do that for others. That's husbands as well as wives I'm talking about there. So the tragedy is that her heart was back in the things of Sodom. And so the reality is that she and Lot weren't on the same page. Remember, he was vexed about the things that went on whereas her heart was actually in the things that went on. So what do, what do we need to do instead? So as well as couch time, which we talked about on Sunday, regularly bringing our spouse out of the role of being a mother into the role of being a wife. And so I think it is the real key that we need to do, husband. So I think the key is to spend adequate time together in common interests and family should be our number one common interests. <coughs> And so, you know, husbands, if we want our wives to feel valued, we need to take an active interest in what they've been doing with the children. You know, she's not just a babysitter. She's not just occupying time. She's teaching them, helping them grow and develop. And so, as husbands, we need to reinforce our wives' importance to us and the, the importance of what they're doing in the way we value them and take an interest in what they are doing. And so, as well as the example of your communication and the priority of the relationship that you're elevating above the children by having couch time and regular time that they see the two of you sitting, chatting together. There also needs to be some time spent out of our children's earshot, especially to discuss how things are going on and what we need to work on. And when I say here, go on a date night, I'm not talking extravagant gestures. It's the time together that's important. you know. A sandwich together and an ice cream afterwards as you stroll along the jetty could be uh, a really treasured time together. So, you know, one suggestion I've got in regard to valuing our wives is to offer to some friends to mind their kids while they have a night out. And then in return, they mind your kids a week or so later. You know, you can even make it a regular thing if you wish, but it works really well if you offer for them to go first. A couple of more things with Lot in relation to his daughters. You know, I struggle with the fact that Lot was prepared to hand his daughters over to the men of Sodom. Um, There's some suggestion he was trying to shame them, but I don't know, it just is really bizarre to me. But given their behaviour later in the cave the only conclusion I can logically draw if he was literally planning to hand them over is that Lot thought my children are wise in the ways of the world and it would not be such a shock to them what was going to happen as it would be to these pure, um, naive guests of mine. But, you know, whatever went through his head, I think we can all agree the topic that it brings to mind is purity. And part of this is what age do you talk to your children? what And what do you tell them? So, I, I do believe honesty is the best approach. You want to be a trustworthy parent. And the best advice I was given in this regard was at a family camp was the advice that we should do our readings and not skip them. So, you know what I mean. We want to safeguard our children's innocence but they're learning and becoming aware of things. So, especially as they mature, we want to make sure we don't edit and sanitise the Bible readings And so, because we, we do have a tendency to skip the ones that may be a bit awkward. But if we stick to it and do the reading and there's no questions afterwards, that's fine. might still be over their head. But if they ask a question, we need to give an age-appropriate answer. Now that's where the section, there's about three or four pages starting at page 60 of your workbook. It's not intended to be exhaustive, but just to give you an idea of what an age appropriate answer might look like for a, couple of, for a younger child and an older child in plain, straightforward language. But just, just think about the fact that, you know, don't you think that a family environment where you make time to sit around God's Word and discuss the issues of life, don't you think that that's a very safe and comforting environment to which to open up and explain things as a family together? With the right attitude, with God in the centre. So here's an alternative scenario. You're watching a movie or... or, or No, so you're probably watching TV... And an ad comes on with a scantily clad woman rubbing herself all over some guy because he's wearing deodorant. Or you're watching a film where two people get into bed together. You know How uncomfortable does that become in front of your children? So I'm not, my intention is not to give you a guilt trip, but just to give you to prompt you to think carefully and objectively while you're away from the family environment about what kind of environment you want to build and some goals and discussions as parents. So how do you avoid that scenario that I just talked about, especially as your family gets older and you might want to have a special movie night together as an occasional treat? Well, you have to put some forethought into what you're going to watch because the G and PG ratings today are not very helpful. Um, I'd find that there's a greater tolerance for violence amongst film classifiers than my children could handle, and they found things very upsetting. So personally, I rely on IMDB. If you go to the Internet Movie Database, there's a parent's guide there that you can click on. And so here's Titanic, and I pick on Titanic because it's such a popular movie, it's so easy to target, and it gives you all the incidents of nudity and violence and and a rating of, you know, how how much there is. So you can actually be informed before you watch the movie. The other thing is that you can actually Google, there's a number of these out there, Christian review sites, where from a Christian perspective, they'll actually give a moral rating to the film based on their assessment of, you know, whether it showed, you know, parents fulfilling their obligations or the kids were smart Alex and got away with doing something wrong. They are overly sensitive to fairy and and wizard themes, so just be aware of that. But they don't just check one, do some research, but I'm saying there's some really great resources so that you don't get caught in that trap. And, you know, there's some really great family experiences where we sat and watched the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory the new one, not the old one, because the old one, he does do the wrong thing and gets away with it, and with a bowl of chocolate. And every time they said candy, we could unwrap some and eat it. Um, Talking movies, I'm not a real big fan of the screens in cars idea. So what we did was we travelled, we did two circuits around Australia, the west and the east, and we listened to audio books, you know, dramatised stories when travelling on long car trips so it's a shared experience that you're experiencing together you're not encouraging a personal media bubble back here with one child in the back seat but you're stimulating Im- imagination and sharing things there's some really good stories out there the Narnia series at, um, which we bought at Kurong but's now on Audible I really recommend and the final tragedy of Lot's daughters is when they thought they were the only ones remember that the, the, there's, there's no one else that that we can marry, they had no concept of the wider ecclesia. And the tragedy is, that is, as we heard the other morning, on the opposite side of the valley, who was there? Abraham. And we're told in the record that he had 318 trained servants. And if you look at that word trained in scripture, in Hebrew, it's not trained in war, it's actually trained in the scripture, like they've been educated or taught. So there's an ecclesia of three hundred and eighteen standing up on the other side of the valley, and they these girls thought they were the only one. There was no one else. So that's why ecclesial activities, why Bible schools like this, are so important. Even visiting other ecclesias when we go on holiday. Sorry, I didn't have a photo of your campsite, so I used that one. Um, You know, try and look up Christophians in the places that we visit, so our children have a concept of the wider community. And then obviously the ultimate tragedy was the perverted morals of Lot's daughters. And, you know, ha- how can we prevent that in our children? Well, aside from the readings, it's up to us to be the source of information and keep the marriage bed elevated in our family. So when my children were teenagers, I would have conversations with them. Uh, there was a special night where I took my daughter out for tea um, Father, daughter tonight, and, and we had conversations together. I write my children letters every 18 months just to encourage them in things of moral purity and to commend them on their character development and how they're going and give them, offer them advice and support. But as well as no wider appreciation, Lot's daughters had no moral conscience. In fact, they had perverted reasoning to end up sleeping with their father, didn't they? So we've we've already covered the influences of media. Yet here's another warning of why to take care. You know, what kind of family environment are you building? Are you building an independent family wh- where everyone is part of it, but all looking outwardly, where everyone's looking out for their own interests and receiving from outside the family interests? Um, and influences and values like Lot's family? Does, you know, does everyone have their head in their own phone at the table? Because Lot's family were definitely far more influenced from outside the family than from what was supposed to be within. So we need to learn from that. And i put it to you that peer pressure is only as strong as the child's conscience and family identity is weak. So what we, the, the other alternative is to build an interdependent family where screens are banned at mealtime and that there's limits on me, uh, media and screen time. And you do things together as a family, like making cards, like riding bikes, going on outings. You need to build a sense of belonging. And the child then is a welcome member of the team rather than the centre of it so that they actually end up doing things for the good of the team. They're a team player in every sense and w- rather than being a self-centered individual. So we talked about boundaries yesterday. Can I build on it in this context and say that you don't want to just create boundaries based on what you keep out. Your boundaries are gonna be mostly defined by what's inside. The things that you do together will be what defines your family. Your family identity should be positive things. Together we do this and do that, not we don't do this and we don't do that. So you want to create in your child's mind a strong sense of what family is, not what family isn't. So the whole idea of family to a child needs to be something bigger than self, but small enough and tangible enough to provide security. So as your children grow, they're gonna be subject to all kinds of outside pressure. But if you've got a strong relationship with your children, have cultivated a strong idea of who you are as a family and the principles you stand by, because not as an individual, an individual's not strong enough to withstand peer pressure, but a child who's part of a strong family bond, that's a different story. And thinking of daughters, thinking of the influences on daughters particularly, fathers, we need to be a strong and dependable influence in our daughters' lives and we need to be comfortable with them. Especially as they blossom into young womanhood, they're changing in all sorts of ways. And if we start to act awkward around them and can't hug them, they get the wrong message. And the security and attention that they lack from their father, they'll go off and seek elsewhere and end up attracting and enjoying the wrong kind of attention and in the arms of the the wrong kind of man. So fathers, give our daughters the appropriate attention, security and stability that they deserve so that they can grow up confident and godly young women. So what about Noah, leaving not Lot and his daughters aside? Well, the first thing is that he's obedient, which we've seen as being the first principle that we need to teach our children. Above everything else, children need to obey their parents because that's um, life. And how can we ever expect our children to learn of God if they don't learn to obey us as parents first? It's that simple, it's that important. And so obedience should be a defining characteristic of our children as much as it is a characteristic of all God's children, including ourselves. So we need to teach it to our children. And as well as obedience through his life, like we discussed, uh, Noah had family. And you know, just compare the family of Noah's sons, properly married, not something strange. It's really hard to work out how Lot's daughters could be married and still virgins. Like there's just something weird going on there. So we know that in the last days, it's going to be characterised by a time of marrying and giving in marriage. Um, And there's a push to get even more marriage happening. And Noah's children, in contrast to the world around them, were happily married. So we need to set the example to our children. Teach our children about good marriage. And remember, our example speaks louder than words. So we need to elevate our marriage relationships and our communication and our service to each other as husband and wives in the eyes of our children. And Noah proclaimed godliness and declared God's ways to the world around him. So we have a role in declaring God to the world in our family. And we looked at these quotes in training our children about Letting our light shine to give glory to God and to conduct our, our conduct and way of life, our family life, we need to keep honourable so that people can glorify God by looking at our family. So obviously it means that Noah taught his children about God, that God's word was part of their lives because you can't preach what you don't know. And so... Noah and his family were saved by water, the like figure of baptism. And if baptism is used in the context of Noah, to me it tells me that Noah developed a conscience toward the things of God and his children, which we've already seen is one of our priorities and goals as parents, at which Noah appears to have succeeded in developing his, teaching his children's heart, developing their conscience, so that their, their baptism was an answer of a good conscience toward God. So back to Noah, he was preaching and proclaiming righteousness in his days, not quietly fitting in like Lot and Lot's wife and family. And they had a family project in the truth, building an ark. Noah had a really strong family identity and a family project, whereas Lot, on the other hand, was really weak. We're not even clear about the extent of his family so building a strong family identity what's your family project what's your equivalent of building an ark together and every family is different that's the beauty of the family of god there's not one project for all of us and there's lots of projects to go around so as part of your family goals together perhaps it's time to consider your, prayerfully consider your family project. You know, there are ecclesial projects, the, the Bible school here, Sunday school, hall cleaning. You know When we do pamphleting, at the end, buy ice cream and have fun in the park. Make it enjoyable in the minds of our children, not a chore. If your family likes gardening, perhaps a project could be to help out at an older member's house. Yeah, you know, I remember one family whose project it was to make cards. And whatever happened in the ecclesial family, they had a card on hand that, that to give to, that, to someone that was made by a member of that family to express some thoughts in. Um, another family I know collects bottles and cans for recycling. But it's actually a family project to raise funds for the Indian home or Agape in Action. I think that's a great idea because, you know, if you can get over the picking up rubbish aspect, maybe use disposable gloves or something, but how else can a young child feel like they're actively contributing financially toward others? So, you know, some families go on Bible mission work together. Um, And so maybe that can be a, a conversation topic to discuss with other people what family projects that they've seen other people do. And, you know, we need to be aspirational, dads. We need to be ideas men and, and uh, get some family projects happening. And it's not just what we do to work together as a family, but what do you do as for fun together? You know, to, to a young child, family should be a team that has fun, that loves and forgives and helps each other. What, what is family? What does the word family mean to your children? So remember, we talked, you're inside, that they, they're born inside this thing called family and are learning what family is from the experiences that you give them. So it might start with picnics and walks as toddlers and then bike rides and other sports together as children. And as they grow up, you can get more and more adventurous about what you do together. You know, some families play musical instruments together. Some families eat tea on the beach at summer. You know, Whatever it is, own it and make sure your children own it as well because the time will come when they'll see families doing things that maybe you're not comfortable with and then it's very easy to point out instead of judging the other family, you just say, look, that's their family special thing. Let them have that we do this over here together. And because we do this, which they don't get to do, let them have that as their special family thing. So, you know, remember, peer pressure is only as strong as the family identity's weak. So if you create a strong sense of family identity, that peer pressure to do things goes away because you're doing all these other fun things in its place. And the reality is that you're going to encounter different families with different values, whose children do things that you might not be comfortable with your children doing. And a really positive way to um, work with that is to have your children always invite friends around to what you're doing rather than the other way. So you want your house to be the place to be. So you don't want your kids to be often never home. So it means that you have to think about, and maybe you have to buy that table tennis table, or the pool table for your adults, or maybe uh, for your young adults, or maybe you think about a swimming pool, Uh, or take them outside somewhere regularly where they're having wholesome fun together and want to invite other children. Because my lesson from Noah is that we need to take the our commitment to family seriously. Family's precious. It's worth something. It's worth investing in. So spend some time and effort and even money because else if we just drift along, we'll get any old result like Lot did. And we all have a God-given opportunity in our family, something special, something unique. Your family's unique. It's made up of the two of you with your shared experiences and goals and ideals. So make your family fit the two of you and paint your combined picture to your children so that they can see it and become it. So remember, they're born inside this thing called family. They don't know what family means. They've got no experience to judge it by. So make the word family have real meaning and resonate with your children and your family will be Is like no others I can't give you a blueprint for it but look here's here's us notice the name of the boat we're a team right so there's things when we're out sailing Now, this my children are older so I'm not saying start with this but there's things that you sacrifice for the good of the team so even if you feel like sitting in the Sun reading a book today If the family plans to sail somewhere, if it's your job to haul up and secure the anchor, when I've started the motor, regardless of where you are down the page or what you feel like doing, that job needs to be done right now immediately. And at the end of the trip, you might feel like lazing around and not doing much, but if it's your job to haul down the sails as we're coming into land, you have to do it then. You've got no choice. You're part of the team. Everyone has to pitch in and do their bit. And at night, you know, we're anchored and we play cards and games. And we, because our children are teenagers at this point, we're we're becoming, transitioning into real friends with our children, playing with our kids all day. Because they've got no friends to be with other than ourselves. We've taken them um, away. So, look, our children were older. You don't start here. We started with family picnics and and moved on to holidaying and riding bikes together Um, but just that's an idea where it can lead and as well as enjoying having um, family with me there's a couple other things I enjoyed about our trips you know one is I'm in IT so going where there's no mobile coverage um, where uh, um, instead of being on call 24-7 to look after servers no, no one could contact me out in the middle of Lake Argyle and I could switch off and it was great. But also, when I woke up in the morning and I prayed, said, we said a family prayer to God to pray and keep us safe, when you're out on the ocean with no RAA really to call or no insurance or airbags or seatbelts even, just our life jackets that they had to wear, but... You know, you get what I mean. You're totally at the mercy of the elements. When you pray to God to keep you safe, you 100% mean it. And that really was encouraging to me about how much I... I think we get away from how much we rely on God. Like back in the day, if you were a farmer in Israel, you'd rely on God for the weather at the right time. And we're so removed from that. I just found a really good connection to God. So those fun times demonstrate the value of family. So if we as parents value our family, invest in games together and fun times, holidays and, fam- uh, and, and outings, our children will value our family and invest in it too. And that their chores and cooperation day to day are their contribution to family in response to seeing us put effort in family. So family is something that they belong to, and have ownership and investment in, then it's something that they can also add their contribution to. So we found that if we created memorable moments, their investment day-to-day was far stronger and the day routine ran much easier. So I'll just point out that we never paid pocket money for their regular chores like tidying their room because we didn't want to rob them of that emotional investment and make it a mere transaction. Instead, you know, we had jobs that were a known value. Like if they washed my car, it was $5. If they vacuumed it as well, it was another $5. If they washed all the win- cleaned all the windows in the front of the house, that was $5. The back was $5. So if they wanted to earn money, there were chores that were worth a certain value over and above their daily routine. But their daily routine was their emotional investment and their contribution to the smooth running of the family in response to... the the value that we as parents put in it by the things we invested as well. So it was never a mere financial transaction what they did for the family. So the last thing I want to make, a point I want to make from Noah and Lot before we get on to our challenge for today, is that our family cannot operate without one of the greatest attributes of God. And that's forgiveness. As children, as parents, we need to teach our children to apologise. And so there's lots of times where it may not go as well and we can say, I'm sorry, we're working on that. But on balance also, we need to cultivate an attitude of forgiveness in our children. Every day is a clean slate for us and so we should be the same with our children. Never, ever say, you always do that. We need to encourage change, not label our children. We need to learn to let go of our frustrations and as a godly parent, give a fresh chance. That's encouraging, sorry, but has clear boundaries and expectations. So, you know, even though God's our example on the forgiving side, On the transgression side, a proper apology is more than an I'm sorry. It's a skill to have to go to your room and consider what you've done and how it might have affected others and consider on your own that impact and then come back and offer a suitable apology and ask for forgiveness. And again, the best teacher is our example. And so in regard to a good example of healthy marriage and um, asking forgiveness, Brother Bob Lloyd advises, advises us of four parts to a heartfelt apology to our spouse. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. So if that's the example that we're setting for our children, then our children can learn to give a proper apology also. So we've been talking all through the week about being like God or holiness, really, has been the topic in parenting, teaching obedience, instilling thankfulness, showing kindness to each other, demonstrating and teaching forgiveness and personal responsibility. You know, Paul warned Timothy that the last days would be the exact opposite of these characteristics. And I think this slide of 2 Timothy 3 we can see that's we can see today is the reality of the environment that Paul was warning Timothy about. We can see that mindset around us yet we want the exact opposite to be the characteristics in our children. And so if we do nothing and just drift along, that's how our children will end up because that's the environment they're in. Remember Lot's wife and family. So we are swimming against the flow with our families. So we want our families to be humble, to love God, to be grateful and thankful, which means we have to put more effort in Because if we don't, if we stop swimming against the current, our families will drift along and that will be the result. So picking up the idea of us being counterculture and bringing it back to, to Noah, think of this quote in Hebrews 11. By reverent fear, Noah saved his house by living counter to the world around him. His world being exactly as Paul described also. And because he stood apart with his family, his godly life in direct contrast to theirs, the people around him were without excuse. And so by Noah's faithful and reverent example, the whole world was condemned. And we too should be condemning the list of what's in the world by our faithful examples. And so while I'm talking about Hebrews 11, have you ever noticed that to those involved in this chapter here, in this list none of them are attempting to do big things they're just looking out for the best interest of their family and yet God picks that up and labels it as faith and records it for us to see as an example so we talked about Abraham before he's one of the faithful in Hebrews 11 because he lived his life in the kingdom and dragged his family around in a tent Noah by faith he built an ark to save his family. By faith, a Hebrew couple hid their baby son, part of their family. And that son, as a result of the faithful example of his parents, by faith, he delivered the entire family of Israel. By faith, Rahab saved her family. By faith, women received their family to life and more. So being a giant of faith doesn't, isn't in the big things and spectacles and stuff out there. It's expressed in our families. So um, there's a family identity exercise for you in the notes uh, for you to actually think about what you want to be Uh, your family defined as. But what's my takeaways? So hopefully you've been getting some ideas of things to perhaps discuss as parents. My appeal is don't just drift along. Noah and Lot are both men of faith, both in Hebrews 11, but only one of them was able to leave a lasting legacy of faith in their family and we want to be way more like Noah and less like Lot when it comes to our Family identity. And so, as we see here in 2 Corinthians, God's purpose is to make all of us our sons and daughters. And he wishes to perfect holiness in all of us. So, we're commencing God's work that he's going to complete. It doesn't have to be perfect. But if we're alert and careful to influences and seek to promote holiness in our families, we're commencing God's work. So, our parent cha- challenge today that we're going to conclude on is seeing parenting as an act of faith remember faith's about seeing the invisible and parenting a godly family is about acting like a kingdom family now so our actions our attitudes the things we do together should be able to fit right into life in god's kingdom and so our children are a welcome member of our family team, just as we're an integral and welcome part of God's family team, as it were. But also, our family needs to be alive with works, like James encourages us, as a family that practically helps others, because faith without works is dead, remember? So a family who looks, instead of looking outward for ways to help, looks outward for influence, is also dead, So can I leave you this last bit of encouragement in faith? Yes, it is a scary world out there. But in faith, can we please see that God is watching over our families and working with us. They're his heritage. He's co-parenting with us. He's a father to our children too. So 2 Thessalonians 3. The Lord is faithful who will establish all you as parents and keep you and your families from evil. And we've got confidence in the Lord touching you that you'll both do and will do the things which God commands you. And our prayer is that the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the patient waiting of Christ.